the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, this is your host, Bob Bergman, with Plan Your Estate Radio. I want to welcome you to the show today. Before I get started with the topic at hand, which is talking about how to plan for your minor children, I wanted to give a shout-out to the composer and performer of my theme music. Uh, The music that you hear at the beginning of this show and throughout is from an album called Moonlight by my old friend John Taylor. Now, John is a professional musician. Uh, The main theme music is called American Millennium. And uh, John and I met actually working with the San Jose Children's Musical Theater back in the 1970s when he was a kid and I was a college student. Uh, Since then, he's had a wide and varied musical career, including running the music at the O Show for Cirque du Soleil at the Bellagio in Las Vegas. But now he teaches uh, drama, high school drama up in Oregon, and is also responsible for setting up and empowering a lot of children's theaters, much like the children's theater that he and I met in here in San Jose so many years ago. So thank you, John, for the use of your music. I love listening to it all the time, and I hope that my audience loves listening to it as well. So check him out, John Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, and the album is called Moonlight. Today I'm going to talk about a subject that uh, would be of great importance to those of us who have minor children. Now, I have two daughters myself, uh, twin daughters. They both recently turned 10, and one of the things that I'm concerned about is if something happens to me and my wife, what would actually happen to my children? Now, there's a lot of things that could happen. Let's talk about a few of those today. First of all, if my wife and I were in a car accident and we didn't come home or we didn't come to pick up our children at school or at whatever activity that they were at, there's a good chance that they could end up being taken into custody by the Child Protective Services here in Santa Clara County where we live. Now, Child Protective Services is charged by law with looking out for the welfare of children who don't have people available to care for them, and namely adults available to care for them, adults such as parents or legal guardians. So my children could conceivably end up in the foster care system, um, maybe for a few hours, maybe for a few days. I have a lot of clients who come in and they tell me, 
Bob, um, our children, we have young children, but we're from some other part of the United States and we don't have any family nearby. Or even uh, more common, we're from another country. Uh, We're from China or we're from India or the UK or Canada or Germany or somewhere in South America or Africa, even Australia. And they say, if something happened to us, we have no idea who might be able to take care of our children, at least in the short term, until family members could make arrangements to to come to the United States and do whatever legal paperwork is necessary to take custody of our children. And I agree, that's a big problem. So I have a potential solution for that problem that I'm going to talk about in the first two segments today. I call it the Children's Legacy Plan. And what it is is a series of legal documents designed to deal with the short-term and longer-term care needs of our minor children. The first legal document I prepare is called the Designation of Temporary Caretakers. What this document does is it permits you to name local people who could be family members but could also be close personal friends and designate them as people that you feel are safe that could temporarily take care of your children until someone who has been nominated by you as a permanent guardian can show up take custody of your children, and then start the legal process to become your child's guardian. Now, let me explain basically what a guardian is. You've probably heard the term before. We use the term here in California to refer specifically to minor children. Some parts of the country use the term guardian to refer to both minor children and adults. Excuse me. In uh, California, a guardian is someone that is appointed by a judge to take charge of the physical person and the care of a minor child and may also be given authority over that minor child's property. Uh, Property could be property, for example, that is now being inherited by that child because the child has lost a parent or parents. The designation of temporary caretakers is a different document than a nomination of guardians for the children. And let me explain. Because you may know people locally that you would feel safe temporarily taking care of your children, whether it's some parents from their school or a business associate or someone that you work with, uh, even someone that you're involved with in some kind of uh, activity, Uh, whether it's uh, playing golf or tennis or uh, your children are at the same uh, sports club where they're studying gymnastics or karate or something along those lines, the designation of temporary caretakers is designed to give legal cover to the Child Protective Services people for them to feel comfortable turning custody of your children over to a responsible adult that you know will look out for them until the court process can get started to actually have a permanent guardian name for your children. Um, I have a client who, uh, who worked several years in the Child Protective Services Division in a Bay Area county 
And um, this client indicated to me that she regularly had to uh, pick up children and maybe even take them and transport them to other parts of the state for foster care because there were no foster care spaces available in her particular county. Uh, She told me about times she had to transport children as far away as Sacramento and even Fresno and Bakersfield. She also indicated to me that if there is more than one child in the family that's affected, there's no guarantee that those children will be placed in the same location. Now, I don't know about you, but I have twin daughters, and the thought of them being separated and placed in two different locations where they couldn't be with each other really kind of terrifies me. So the designation of temporary caretaker is designed specifically to make sure that that does not happen by giving a document in writing signed by you and notarized by me that tells the Child Protective Services that you don't want your children put into foster care, but instead you want them placed, at least temporarily, with one or more of the people that you have designated in that document. So that's the first thing, the designation of temporary caretakers. The next thing would be a nomination of guardians. Now, it's a common misconception that we get to decide who will be the guardians for our children if something happens to us. The reality is that it's the judge in the family court that makes that decision. Uh, It's not we that make the decision. All we can do as parents is nominate or name who we wish to have as the guardian or guardians for our children if something happens to us. It's then up to the court to review all of the evidence, uh, to do background checks. They have investigators that do background checks of proposed guardians to make sure that they're not unregistered sex offenders or felons out on parole or similar kinds of issues like that. And then ultimately, it's the judge that makes the decision who is going to be named by the court to take care of your children. So we nominate, but the court appoints. Now, after the break, I'm going to come back and talk about some other legal considerations that deal with guardianship for your children. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Before the break, I talked about the Children's Legacy Plan and how it's very, very important to make sure that you have nominated guardians and also designated temporary caretakers for your children. One of the major issues that comes up with the nomination of guardians is who is going to be the most appropriate person to raise your children. Many families have family members that would be completely inappropriate to act as guardians for their children. They may be inappropriate because they have drug or alcohol problems. They may be inappropriate because the people are uh, abusers of some kind, either physical abusers, sexual abusers, financial abusers, emotional, spiritual abusers. And, uh, and they may also be enabled by other members of the family that are aware of this abuse going on, but don't do anything to stop it or prevent it. I think we'd all agree that if you were abused by a parent when you were a child 
and the other parent observed all that and did nothing to protect you from that abuse, that you probably would not want either one of your parents to be guardians for your own children. Uh, I do have some families where they have literally excluded everybody um, on both sides of the family as being inappropriate. Now, this brings up another document that I can prepare in the context of the Children's Legacy Plan. It's something that I call the Confidential Exclusion of Guardian. And what it is, it's a document where you would identify which people in your life who are to be likely people to contend for guardian of your children that you would want to have completely excluded from consideration for guardianship. In other words, you name those people, you give the reasons why you want them excluded as potential guardians for your children, and then this document is signed and dated and notarized by me and held back and intended only to be used if one or more of those people named in the exclusion actually step forward after something has happened to you to try to take custody of your children. It's called a confidential exclusion of guardians because it's intended to remain confidential. If one of the people that has been named tries to step forward, then this document can be provided to that person or persons to let them know that if you proceed any further, this document will be turned over to the court uh, for the court to consider and whether, uh, whether or not you should be appointed as the guardian for these children. If the disclosures in the confidential exclusion paperwork are particularly damning or particularly embarrassing, most people would back off and not pursue a guardianship of your children. Um, I kind of go by the, the adage that I was raised with that you should probably not do anything that you wouldn't want printed on the front page of the New York Times newspaper so that everyone could see. And I think most people, when confronted with the reality of their behavior or their condition in writing, uh, as put down by the parents of children, they're probably going to back off and not actually take any further steps to become the guardians for those children. Another document that I think should be prepared for minor children is a medical power of attorney. Now, as parents, we have the right to make the medical and health care decisions for our children. That's uh, pretty much a general rule. It's not an absolute rule, but it's pretty much a good general rule. That means also as parents, we can name people who would be able to make those medical and health care decisions for our children if we're unable to do so or if we're not available to do so. Uh, it could be on a temporary basis. It could be on a more permanent basis, at least until such time as the court has appointed a formal permanent guardian for the children. Many children who lose parents uh, end up being the beneficiaries of estates. If there's been good estate planning, then their estate will largely consist of monies and property being held in some form of trust, uh, at least until the child reaches 
a minimum age a majority of 18 years, but hopefully more likely 21 years of age or at least 25 years of age, or else in a form that will be um, something that I'll be covering in the last two segments today, what I call the Castle Trust or Castle Trust Planning. So, to kind of go as a summary here, the Children's Legacy Plan is a type of planning that I do specifically for those of us who have minor children, which includes me and my wife. It's designed to provide for uh, temporary caretakers if something happens to our children and our permanent guardians that we've nominated don't live nearby. Um, If you have, for example, permanent guardians that you've nominated that are in other countries, they're going to have to go through the process of getting permission to travel to the United States. That may require a visa being issued, maybe a hardship visa because your children are without guardians. But still, um, the courts here will likely require people from other countries to obtain proof that they have been named as guardians for the minor children in that other country. And what I mean by that is some kind of proof from the court system in that other country that they have the authority to take custody of those children and actually return back to that country and care for them as their guardians. This is an important point because if you have people named in other parts of the world to be guardians for the minor children, it's very possible that it may take weeks or even months before the uh, process could be completed in that other country, and then those people come here to the United States to actually take custody of your children. I bring this up because of the the fact that um, children will be put into foster care if there's no responsible adult that they can be turned over to. And also, um, you probably would not want that to happen. That's why the designation of temporary caretakers is such an important legal document to consider. Uh, So... We've got the designation of temporary caretakers. We have the nomination of permanent guardians for the children. Very, very important legal document um, because what it's going to do is designate who you wish to have as the guardians for your children. Now, that's going to wrap up this second segment today. Uh, If you have any questions about this topic, please feel free to call me, uh, Bob Bergman, at 408-247-0444, or email me at planyourestateradio at gmail.com. That's planyourestateradio at gmail.com. You may also visit my website at lawbob.com, where you can read about uh, the Children's Legacy Plan and other types of estate planning that I do for, uh, for families. After this commercial break, I'm going to come back and I'm going to talk about special type of planning I call Castle Trust Planning and how it can be used to help your family not lose their inheritance in the future. So you go ahead and take a break now, and I'll talk with you after we come back. This is Attorney Bob Bergman with Plan Your Estate Radio. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. 
on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back to Plan Your State Radio with your host, Attorney Bob Bergman. If you've just tuned in, in the previous couple of segments, I talked about the Children's Legacy Plan, which is a type of planning that I do for individuals and married couples who have minor children. Uh, The Children's Legacy Plan is designed to deal with the short and long-term care needs of minor children. In the short term, by having a legal document that's a designation of temporary caretakers, meaning those people that uh, you would believe would be okay to temporarily care for your children should something happen to you, a a nomination of guardians so that you have actually named people to be permanent guardians to care for, raise your children, and also perhaps handle their inheritance for them, and uh, maybe most importantly, a confidential exclusion of guardians. If there are people, uh, adult relatives, that you would want to exclude from being considered as guardians for your minor children, That's another legal document that can be used to present to the court if necessary to have them excluded as guardians. Finally, a medical power of attorney for your minor children so that someone has the authority to make medical and health care decisions for them until such time as a permanent guardian has been appointed by the court. Now, for the remainder of the show, I'm going to be talking about a, uh, a new topic, specifically what I call Castle Trust Planning. Now, let me explain. Um, <clears throat> when someone inherits uh, through a trust, specifically through a living trust or even a trust, an irrevocable trust that was set up while the beneficiary was alive and while the creator of the trust was still alive, uh, but then assets or money was put into that trust to eventually be turned over to the beneficiary. In a case like that, there's a lot of different ways that you can actually leave property to someone through your estate and your estate planning. Uh, Some people don't do any planning at all, which means that property will pass to their heirs by intestate succession. Intestate succession is the legal terminology for basically who gets your property when you die if you don't have a plan. It's typically going to be who you might suspect. It will go to a spouse. It will go to your children. If your children are deceased but you have grandchildren, it will probably go to your grandchildren. That's one way to do it. Many people do living trust planning, and in living trust planning, they also provide that everything just goes directly to their children. Some people might be a little more sophisticated than that, and they have a plan that says, well, you know what? I'm going to leave the property to my children, but I'm going to do it in pieces or installments. Maybe maybe they get a third of their inheritance as they turn age 25. Then maybe they get half of what's left when they turn 30. And then maybe get the remainder of it when they turn 35. And that way, what will happen is I've spread out the distribution of the property to my children, giving them a chance to learn how to handle smaller amounts before they handle larger amounts. I call this blowing the inheritance on the installment plan. One of the realities is is that if someone is financially immature 
or financially incompetent at uh, at an early age and maybe maybe even at age 25, they're going to take that inheritance and they're just going to spend it all and then be waiting eagerly for the next installment to be distributed so they can spend all of that as well. I think that there's actually a better way to go. There's a lot of ways that people can lose their inheritance even if they are fiscally responsible, good investors, and mature in their outlook on life and mature on how they handle money. Maybe the most common one um, that I run into is the child of a client, uh, the child who may actually be a very high-functioning alcoholic or drug addict who is employed and caring for a family, but if they were to be given a large sum of money all at once, it might actually lead to their addiction overcoming them. Addictions come in all kinds of shapes, colors, and sizes. The most common ones are drugs and alcohol, but you can be addicted to gambling. You can be addicted to pornography. You can be addicted to acquiring as many beanie babies as possible. All of those things can be addictions, and all of those can lead to financial ruin if somebody receives an inheritance directly. So the first thing we look at is, uh, when I'm looking at with my clients, is asking them about their children. Are their children financially responsible? If the answer is yes, we move on to other things. Are the children married? How do you feel about that son-in-law or daughter-in-law? Do you like them a lot? Do they like you? Do they appear to be responsible? Or is that son or daughter-in-law someone who spends every dime they get their hands on? who is maybe financially, physically, emotionally, spiritually abusive to your child? Are you worried that your child is going to take their inheritance and just turn it over to their spouse or their uh, their partner if they're not married? These are really valid concerns. In a case like that, I think we could agree that it's probably not a good idea to give a large sum of money to that child directly after you've died. Third thing, what happens if your child is in a high-risk profession, such as um, practicing law or medicine, accountancy, uh, civil engineering, architecture, any kind of profession where if your child makes a mistake, your child could be sued for malpractice? Well, those are important considerations right there because... Um, Malpractice claims, you may have malpractice insurance. I know that I carry it in my practice, Um, not because I expect to make a mistake, but just in case I do make a mistake at some point, and uh, some clients suffer some kind of financial loss because of that. Well, if someone's received an inheritance directly, which is the most common way inheritances are received, then that means the inheritance is subject to the claims of a client or someone injured due to that malpractice. Uh, This is why, for example, sometimes when I do planning for married couples, even though there may be no estate tax reason to create an irrevocable bypass trust, which is a trust designed to hold the deceased spouse's share of property, for the benefit of the surviving spouse, but to bypass the surviving spouse's taxable estate and also to provide asset protection for that surviving spouse, 
Uh, I may do that even though there's no tax reason to do it because the spouses are professionals of some guy. They're in high-risk professions, and there's a concern that if everything goes to the surviving spouse, then that means the surviving spouse could potentially lose some or all of that inheritance because of a simple mistake made that leads to a malpractice claim. So that's the other reason why we might do um, different kind of planning to pass property on to our children. Another thing that can happen in people's lives is they actually just make a mistake. They're uh, inattentive driving on the freeway, looking down at the phone. We've all done that. Um, sending a text message. We've all done that. And then they look up at the last moment and see that the traffic has stopped and it's too late to put on the brakes and stop and boom, the child hits the rear of the car in front of them. That car is shoved into the car in front of them. Boom, 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 boom. Next thing you know, 20 cars are involved in that collision started by your child at the very back. The way liability flows with these kinds of um, claims called tort claims is it flows backwards from the front of the, the row of cars to the rear of the row of cars, whoever started the collision going. Your child can end up being sued by 20 or more people for their personal injuries and their property damage, and I can pretty much guarantee it won't take many injuries or much property damage before your child's um, automobile insurance liability limits have been exceeded and now their personal assets are at risk. Even if your child has an umbrella personal liability policy on his or her home, um, which I think can go up to about $4 million, it still may not be enough to protect the child's own personal property, which could include the inheritance that was received from you. So I think there's a better way to do that. What if you have a child who is a special needs person? You don't want to leave the inheritance directly to them either. Um, and what if your child is incredibly wealthy already? You don't want to leave the inheritance directly to them for a similar reason. Now, what am I talking about here? It's what I call castle trust planning. And how it works is this. Instead of leaving an inheritance directly to a child, what we do is leave the property in trust for the child with specific instructions to the trustee in charge of that trust that the property is to be used for the needs of the child as those needs may appear in the future. Needs such as the child's health needs, the child's needs for uh, education, for maintenance and support. That's things like food, clothing, shelter, recreation, vacation. All of these things, I think we would agree, are things that people need, especially living and working here in the United States. But the key is we focus on the child's needs instead of focusing on the child's wants, wishes, or desires. By focusing on the needs, we can create a plan that's going to protect that child's inheritance. After the break, I'll come back and tell you pretty much how this Castle Trust planning works. Talk with you then. 
Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. If you have any questions about the show so far or questions about these uh, this last segment, please email me at planyourestateradio at gmail.com or feel free to give my office a call at 408-247-0444. I'll be happy to answer your questions uh, or talk with you on the phone and answer your questions there. Uh, if I don't pick up and you get my service, then please leave a message and I'll get back to you as soon as possible. Now, castle trust planning. The technical term for this type of planning is called multi-generational skipping trust planning. Yeah, I know. That's, uh, that's a pretty technical term and that's why I call it castle trust planning. Now, if you can picture in your mind a castle that you've seen either in real life or on television. I know a lot of people immediately think of of uh, Sleeping Beauty's Castle at Disneyland. Um, I think of other castles I've seen around the world, such as the Tower of London or Windsor Castle or the Imperial Palace in Kyoto, Japan, all of which are amazing castles. But they all have some features in common. Probably the main feature you see is that they have high walls and thick walls and typically a drawbridge or some kind of guarded entryway so that it's not easy to get inside that castle. And castles back in the uh, older times also had the feature of having garrisons um, or armed soldiers who were there to prevent people getting into the castle. Castle trust planning basically takes the position that we're going to take the inheritance going to somebody and we're going to actually put it in a treasure chamber inside this castle and we're going to lock up the treasure chamber which has a big heavy door with steel bars across it and the key is going to be given to this heavily armed defender of the castle called the trustee. The trustee, if you picture, if you will, a heavily armored knight in full plate armor with a helmet and a two and a half foot broadsword waiting to cut down anybody trying to get in the castle to get to the treasure, which is your child's inheritance. So castle trust planning is designed to protect the inheritance of your child from anything that could come at the child during the child's lifetime. Things such as the addiction problem, things such as the child being too young or financially immature, which we know is no respecter of age. Everybody knows people in their later years who are still financially immature, who run out of month before their money. Uh, Think of any cliche you want, but there's people that just don't know how to handle funds. Then we have um, the people who are in abusive marriages or relationships. We're worried about them perhaps losing their inheritance because they're going to mix it into the marriage uh, once they receive it. And then a few years later, the spouse divorces them and walks out the door with half the inheritance. That's probably the most common thing that happens with inheritances is that people just add them into their marriage and they don't keep them separate from the marriage, even though legally they're entitled to do so. Then you may have someone who's a special needs person who should never receive an inheritance directly, and maybe it should be directed into a form of supplemental needs trust for them, 
with somebody else put in charge of it to protect it for them. And then people who are in high-risk professions or people who may just suffer um, an injury where they actually injure other people and they're being sued for those injuries, all of these people need protection from losing their inheritance to things that could conspire to take it away from them. So by putting it in this special trust that has limitations on how the property can be used just for the needs of the child or other beneficiary, we have provided a very high level of asset protection for that inheritance. Asset protection that might be able to go on for a couple of generations, protecting not only your children's inheritance, but also protecting that inheritance when it's passed on to grandchildren. That's a pretty amazing thing that we can do with this type of planning. Now, the reality is that most attorneys who do trusts for people are not aware of this kind of planning. They're not aware of it, and or if they are aware of it, they don't know how to accomplish it because it is a more advanced form of estate planning than just doing what I call the sweetheart trust, which uh, I die, everything goes to my wife, my sweetheart. She dies, everything goes on to our children outright, and then they're on their own after that point. So this type of multi-generational planning or what I call the castle trust planning, is a form of advanced estate planning, which means that it really should only be done by someone who understands how to do it. In my experience, the attorneys that I know understand how to do it are those that are board certified in estate planning, trust, and probate law, such as myself. Here in Santa Clara County, where I practice law, there's only about 100 attorneys out of the over 8,000 attorneys that practice in Santa Clara County that are certified as estate planners. That's just a fact. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't attorneys that know how to do this that are not board certified in estate planning, but it's much more likely that your average attorney that just kind of does trusts on the side as an additional service offered in addition to bankruptcy, personal injury, family law, and maybe three or four other practice areas those attorneys are not specialists, and they probably don't really know how to do this type of planning properly. I'll be happy to send you my consumer guide to Will's Living Trust and Estate Planning. Uh, it's a very good guide, and I think you'll find it very useful. Until next time, this is Bob Bergman with Plan Your Estate Radio. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com. Or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.